If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and gee, I'm excited to be here today. It's been so long since I've been here with you. We took a little bit of a break on the podcast. I've reshuffled up the schedule, done some exciting new things. So moving forward, we will be bringing out an episode every single week for you. We've had a lot of listens, a lot of feedback, a lot of downloads, and there's a lot of appetite out there for the show. So this is how it's going to play out. Every second week, I'm going to be bringing a guest onto the podcast from all over the world that are going to bring their unique points of difference, their stories, their journeys, their experiences to this podcast so that we can all learn and grow together. Then in between those episodes, every other week, I'm going to be bringing back the Webs of Wisdom episodes, which is specifically based on all things life, topics, things that interest myself, things that I'm seeing that are in the community, across social media, things that I think we need to address here on the podcast. And I like to keep them pretty short, normally 10 to 15 minutes in duration. And they're really, really beneficial for, for giving you really quick tools, strategies to be enriched and to live better. That's the goal of them. But I'm so excited to be back here with you today. The podcast is unreal. The community, you guys are all unreal. Without you, none of this is even possible. So thank you. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. I hope that you get everything and more out of this podcast series and you stay with me. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast if you love it. And not only are you going to help us climb the Apple podcast charts, but you're doing something greater than that, greater than ourselves. And that's helping spread important messages all over the world so that we can reach people in places that we never thought were possible and potentially change a life. And that's what this is all about. So hit the subscribe button. Please subscribe to my show. Always open to feedback and comments. So if you have any recommendations, feedback, please reach out to me or Livin and I'll get back to you personally. That is a fact. On that note, we are on episode number 65 today and we are celebrating Men's Mental Health Week. So for all of you ladies and gentlemen out there and everyone else in between, this is an episode you definitely don't want to miss because I've brought on a pioneer in the men's mental health space. Now, his name is Connor Beaton. Connor is the founder of Man Talks, which is an international organization focused around men's health, wellness, success, and fulfillment. Prior to, to becoming an entrepreneur, Connor actually was really high up at Apple. So I want to ask him how that transition was and why he actually left 
what was his rock bottom or turn point in his life. Connor is also a coach. He's taught over tens of thousands of men all over the world around relational communication, actualizing your potential, sexual intimacy, growing through your darkness, how to share pain and what you can grow from pain. And he's also shared the stage on keynotes with people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Lewis Howes, Danielle Laporte, and many more. And the guy is, a, is literally a straight shooter. He has no bullshit attitude, which is amazing. He's very compassionate. He's, he's very, very good at articulating things when it comes to health and wellness and you know, those sticky situations that men often find themselves in, whether they explain their pain, how do they unpack it, where do they go, how can he be vulnerable, what does masculinity look like, how can we erode, like erode that. The list goes on, but the guy's a weapon. He's had over 3 million downloads on his podcast, Man Talks. And yeah, I'm just so grateful for his time. And I can't wait to have him on this podcast in celebration of Men's Mental Health Week this week. It's going to be a brilliant episode. Everyone will learn something from this, no doubt. And as I said earlier, please rate, review this podcast because you're going to love it and any feedback is always welcomed. But without further ado, let's bring Connor Beaton onto the podcast. Let's go. Well, welcome onto the podcast, Connor Beaton. It's an absolute pleasure having you on here, mate, seeing you across the screen in Manhattan. What's going on? Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we're sitting in the same room finally, although we're not. We're a few miles apart, but it's nice to finally connect with you. Yeah, man, likewise. And I've been following the great work that you've been doing for a number of years now, and I thought this would be the perfect, I guess, platform and timing to get you onto the podcast for Men's Mental Health Week. And there's no better person, I believe, in the circle that I've watched and, I guess, researched to get someone on the show like yourself. So I'm very grateful to have you on here. Let's rewind quickly. I know, obviously, your story around man talks, and we'll share that, obviously, with the audience. But you worked at Apple prior to that. You're in a corporate-paying job, paying big dollars, and you know what made you walk away from working at a Fortune 500, arguably the number one company in the world, most expensive wealth company in the world. What made you walk away from that to dive into you know entrepreneurship? I mean, I think that just the simplest answer to that is purpose having a sense of mission in life and following that sense of purpose for me was always number one. You know, I didn't have a sense of purpose or direction in my life for a very long time. And that led me to all kinds of shenanigans and chaos and, you know, (laughs) misery. And so, you know, I think I had a rock bottom probably over a decade ago, I guess, 11 or 12 years ago. And that put me on the path that I'm on today. And I kind of vowed to myself that I would never allow myself to stay in a place, whether that was a relationship or a work environment, where I didn't have a sense of purpose and function and meaning in life. And I actually really enjoyed Apple. I think that Apple is a great company on many different levels. I actually really loved working there. And I had set this intention for myself because I had acquired a bunch of skills for you know, understanding people, psychology, you know, Jungian psychology, working with the shadow. And I wanted to use those skills, but I didn't really know how to go about it. And so I landed a job at Apple and I was working there. And I had set this sort of intention for myself that I would go and work for a company that I really revered and admired. And if I still felt the pull to go and start my own business, to go my own direction, then I would honor that. 
And I started working at Apple and probably within like six months, I could just feel this part of me that was like, get out of here. You know, like I loved it. I love the people. I love the money that I was making. You know, I loved, I really loved a lot of it. And there was still this part of me that was like, go pursue your purpose, you know, go pursue what you're passionate about, which is working with people in groups and one-on-one. And so I did that. So that was really the pull was prioritizing purpose above everything else. And that didn't mean it was easy because I started my company while I was working at Apple. And so there was probably a six to 12 month period where I was working like 80 to 110 hours a week. Like I was really grinding it. Mate, I can resonate with that absolutely because I've, you know, you starting Man Talks while you're at Apple back in, I think it was around 2013. That's when we started living and I was working full time too and then trying to get living off the ground. And those long hours into the early hours of the morning, man, you, you can't even quantify the hours that you work every week because you're so determined to make something work, right? Yeah. So yeah. as much as it's 80 plus hours a week, you, at the moment, you just want to make that new venture, that new purpose driven project of yours to work really. So you're putting everything into it and it doesn't, you know, as much as it probably sometimes probably comes at a mental and emotional and physical cost, you realize at the time you'll do whatever it takes to make it work. So mate, congrats on that. But you mentioned that you kind of had a, you hit rock bottom in your life. Do you mind just kind of sharing a little bit about that and what would that look like for you? Because obviously purpose is something that, you know, I reckon on every podcast or every guest I get on, I reckon almost every guest is on the podcast purpose is mentioned somewhere along the line i feel like me personally finding purpose is it's not something that you just (laughs) wake up one morning and get i feel like for a lot of us we go through heartache or breakdowns or change points in your life where it's either live or die kind of thing and you, you realize that you've got two choices to make and out of that bad time comes you know purpose how did that come for you yeah well first off i'll just say you're right I don't think I've ever encountered almost any human being who just woke up one morning and had a life purpose. You know, I think it really comes through a sense of ironing out the hardship that we've experienced and reconciling with that in a way where we're of contribution to the pain that we've experienced. So I'll just put that there. I'll also say there's like 250,000 books on purpose, right? So like if you go on Amazon, there is, it's like one of the most written about things and everybody has a different, you know, perspective on it and how you get there. And there's no one way. There's no one way fits all. It's kind of like you're you and you just got to just, you just feel it and you know it when you've got it. Yeah. Yes. And so for me, you know, I fundamentally believe that, you know, I have a book coming out in January and the first line of it is a man's work begins in pain. And so for me, my first steps towards purpose required me to begin with my own pain, to face my own pain. Cause I was in a lot of it. I was carrying a lot of it. I was passing it on. I was creating more of it in my life. And specifically what that looked like was I was a liar. You know, I really lied about a lot of shit in my life. I lied to friends. I lied to family members. I was unfaithful. I cheated a lot. I was womanizing quite a bit. I was in relationships, but sleeping with women outside of that. And so infidelity for me had become this sort of sabotage mechanism that both brought me a lot of shame and disappointment and pain, but it also was exhilarating. And I got a lot of my validation and self-worth and confidence from that dynamic. And so my rock bottom was after years of trying to reconcile this behavior of lying and infidelity and cheating, having somebody that I really loved and cared about 
being devastated, you know, and really being hurt by my actions. And I didn't want anybody to know what had happened. And so I moved all my stuff into storage. I lived out of the back of my car for a few weeks. And those were some of the darkest days, you know, like living out of the back of my 2007 Pontiac G5, like two-door coupe in the Walmart parking lot. It's not sexy, you know, but I didn't want people. I was just continuing to hide that I felt like a fuck up, you know, that I really felt like a failure. And so reconciling with that part and beginning to work on, you know, my hurt, the pain that I had carried from my childhood, you know, all of those pieces as I started to work on them after my rock bottom for, you know, two and a half, three years after that, that's what really started to put me on this path to purpose. So that's really the bottom out moment. It came through in one way, I guess you could say it came from being wildly inauthentic and not real with who I was and the decisions that I was making as a man and the choices that I was making. But also I felt wildly out of control. You know, I felt like I was at the whim of my dick, you know, like it called the shots. And what I didn't realize was that it wasn't that part of me that was calling the shots. It was that my pain was calling the shots. A friend of mine Somebody that I really admire and respect, a colleague, Francis Weller, says your pain has its own intelligence. And if we're not careful, this is what I believe now, if we're not careful, our pain and the intelligence of our pain will dictate the course of our life and we'll call it fate. We'll call it, you know, whatever it is, universe, et cetera. And we'll find ourselves in places, relationships, jobs, careers that we really don't want to be in, all because we haven't reconciled with our own suffering. And so, yeah, I'll pause there, but that's what led me down that path. Mate, it's very powerful stuff. I mean, everything that you've just dropped was is golden. I mean, it comes from real life experience. So like you and I can sit here and we can talk about, you know, kind of breaking moments or heartache or, or you know obstacles and things that resonate with us and what you know really made everything really clear for us in terms of purpose and stuff but it really is a not a one-size-fits-all approach like anyone that might be listening it doesn't mean that if you've gone through a breakup or if you've been really bad to yourself or whatever that is that you're definitely going to get purpose out of that but i also do believe that out of everything that's negative or painful in your life there is something positive and something that you can learn from that in your life. But I still feel like it takes certain people to be able to ascertain and understand what that looks like and how you could turn it into something positive. And I think that not only is it yourself that comes up with the thing that you want to dive into and explore and feel uncomfy, but it's a big thing about the people that you spend most of your time with, I believe as well. I feel like the people in your life are your biggest inspiration or they're your biggest failures. And I just feel like that it's kind of like a myriad of a lot of different things to make up this wonderful concoction of something really shitty in the past. It's come to something really good. It's really powerful, man. And what you said is it very much resonates with me. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I know, you know, looking over your podcast and watching the work that you do from afar across Instagram and whatnot, you obviously got to, you kind of apply to all shapes and sizes, races and everything else. And men and women, but would I be right saying that your focus is mainly around men? Obviously, man mm-hmm. talks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, and in celebration of Men's Mental Health Week, I obviously want to talk to you about specifically men. Why men and why do men struggle mostly with things like masculinity, vulnerability, being honest with their friends around relationships and shit like that? 
Like, where does all this come from? Where does it all start in your opinion and your views? You've spoken to people all over the world, experts in this area. What's your takeaway from it? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's a big question. That is a big question. I would say, I think one of the main pieces, much like my own story, and one of the main pieces that I've found in, you know, I've worked with thousands and thousands of men, probably tens of thousands of men from all over the world now. And largely, a lot of the challenges that we have, they stem from a place of not being taught how to carry our own pain, how to reconcile with pain, how to deal with pain. So we are often taught as men culturally to deal with pain through suppression, that there's a correlation that if you can ignore your pain or stuff it down hard enough that you'll be stronger for that. And it's nonsense. It's complete bullshit. It doesn't actually work. Right. And you can see that the men, like you don't even have to go very far to, you can just think about the men that are in your life. And you can tell that the men that are the angriest, the most disconnected, the saddest, the you know drinking the most, doing the most drugs, watching the most porn, that those are the men that are clearly in pain and haven't been taught how to metabolize it. They haven't been shown how to deal with the pain that they've been given or how to not prevent necessarily but how to metabolize the pain that they've been given so that they don't pass it on. And that's because we've grown up in generations of men that have been given so much pain that they haven't been known what to do with it. So there's that part of it, right? Like imagine your dad coming back from World War II. Like just imagine that, right? This man has been in one of the most gruesome, terrible experiences that the world has ever seen, that human beings have ever witnessed. And coming back after seeing friends, colleagues, you know, brothers have legs blown off and faces shot off and all this kind of nonsense and being told that they have to man up and get into a tank to go and die and go and risk their life and doing something noble in the sense that they are, you know, they're confronting evil in a sense but returning home with almost zero support as to how to reconcile with what they have seen. And so they come home and they raise boys from that place, right? They train young men how to become boys. And what do they do? They teach those young men to suppress, right? Just push it down, man. You got to just fucking man up. You just got to push it down. You got to soldier through, right? And so we've been living through the generational waves of, I think what happened on a global scale of atrocity and real hardship and real dehumanization to the point where a lot of young men just carry that forward. So that's one part of it. And the second, there's two other parts I just want to touch on briefly. One Mm, is that we've extracted initiation from our culture. You know, there's a great Franciscan monk whose name is escaping Richard Rohr, who says that until a man goes through initiation, until initiation being bringing a man into a sense of powerlessness, he will always abuse power. So initiation used to be this process of bringing boys into manhood, that masculinity and manhood wasn't something that you just got. It was something that you had to earn. It was something that had to be developed within you. And we've stripped initiation processes and initiatory spaces out of Western culture and society. And so there is no place, there's not really a lot of places, I shouldn't say there is no place, but there aren't a lot of places for 
young boys and young men to initiate themselves into manhood and into mature masculinity. And so what you see, like myself, which is that a lot of men try and initiate themselves by partying as hard as they fucking can, right? By drinking stupid amounts of alcohol, by doing stupid amounts of drugs, by screwing as many women as humanly possible. And that what they're looking for is an initiation. Am I a man? Am I actually there? And what other guys will do is they'll go out and they'll get the big career and they'll buy the house and they'll buy the car and they'll be looking for, am I a man? Can society tell me, can it prove to me that I am a man? And none of those experiences bring him, bring a young boy, bring a young man into a sense of, I am a man. And so I've held tons of workshops where I asked the question, when did you know that you became a man? And the surprising amount of men that have no idea how to even answer that question. And I'll ask the question, how many of you still don't feel like a mature man? Men in their 40s, 50s, 60s all put up their hand, right? I actually just don't feel like it. So the initiation has been stripped out. And lastly, what we started to see, and I won't say too much on this front, but lastly, what we started to see is the deconstruction of masculinity as something imperative to our cultural fabric. And so there is a, a kind of demonization of masculinity on a whole and on maleness and on men as a whole, not by everybody, but by some groups of people. And can you explain that to me a bit deeper, a bit further? Yeah. So again, in the face of men have done some violent things. Men have been hurt and they've passed on hurt socially to women, to children, through war, through crimes, etc. There is a revolt against male and masculine behaviors and male and masculine value. So there's this kind of notion that's pervasive in some circles that says that men are evil, men are dangerous, men are a problem. Masculinity is a problem. Masculinity is dangerous. Masculinity is toxic. And those notions go to such a degree that, you know, some people fundamentally believe that all men are rapists or all men are murderers or all men are, you know, a certain way. And what this does is it begins to erode a man's place within society. And it basically says to men, we don't want you. We don't need you. We don't want you. You're not relevant. You're not valuable. You have no worth here and you're not welcome. And so for a man and for the masculine, because the masculine wants to be able to, in many ways, and I'm speaking energetically, the masculine in many ways wants to be able to provide, wants to be able to contribute, wants to be able to build and create. It then sees a society or a family structure or a community that says, you're not welcome here. And so you see a lot of men checking out from culture and society. So for example, I'll just give you some data points. Number one, right now, more men under the age of 30 are living at home with their parents than with a girlfriend or a partner. Okay. Number two, less men than ever before under the age of 30 are having sex. So that more men are living at home, less men are engaging in sex under the age of 30, less men are going to colleges and universities like dramatically more than ever before. And females far outnumber men within the college environment. Less men are engaging in the labor force. So you have men checking out of dating, 
of university institutions, of the labor force. You literally just have men being like, oh, I'm not, where am I welcome? And this creates a real foundational problem because all of a sudden you have men that are not working, that are not dating, that are not learning and going to school. So what are those guys doing? Right. So you have this void because a lot of them have isolation. Yeah. It's a huge isolation because a lot of them have been told or bought into this idea that they don't have value or worth culturally, socially, economically, relationally. And so they check out. And that is very, very dangerous in, in a number of ways. But yeah. Yeah. You talk about, yeah, man. And thanks so much for sharing all of that. The piece around masculinity is a real issue. Definitely. It's something I did a TED talk not so long ago, actually in New York City, mm-hmm. about only one part of masculinity and that, you know, toxic nature and how that could really impact someone's life mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually kind of thing. But you, you touched on some stats there, but one stat you didn't mention, which is probably not relevant in that situation, but is suicide rates for young men is very high, if not the highest. So I think what are some ways? I mean, so you mentioned a few different scenarios before people that party, piss up, drink, drugs, pound as many girls as they want, all this sort of stuff, right? What are some things that you could do to test someone's masculinity or to challenge their way of being so that they can deal with that pain from a place of you know, authenticity and understanding and vulnerability rather than suppressing it and pissing up the wall with drinks or doing as many drugs as they want or all that sort of negative stuff that really isn't that helpful, obviously? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good question. I think men need to be challenged by other men. And so for a lot of guys, they don't have really healthy, really deep masculine relationships. They have surface level relationships with other men where they talk about the normal shit, right? Booze, babes, you know, sports, that kind of stuff, right? And so men need to get into spaces where they can challenge themselves and be challenged by other men physically, mentally, emotionally. They need to be able to have spaces where they can have more depth-oriented, robust conversations about the real problems that they're facing in their life. Because it's so much easier for a man to just walk, you know, walk up to a guy and say, fuck you, than it is to say, hey, that hurt. That hurt me. And so if we don't have those types of spaces as men to be able to say, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, what you said hurt me, or whatever it is with other guys, then we are almost certainly not going to do it with culture, with women, with friends or family, or we're going to do it really ineffectively. So we need to be able to have groups of men, whether you want to do you know, some sort of boot camp program, you can do an initiation program, you can do a men's weekend, you know, there's courses and programs where you can go do survival work, you can go and have an initiatory experience in the sense that you get taken out into wilderness and you have a four-day fast out in wilderness on your own where you're just drinking water and you're communing with nature. Like that's a form of initiation. Like that'll put you through the ringer, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. I think a lot of young men today are looking for this in psychedelics, you know, ayahuasca, psilocybin, going on these kinds of retreats down in South America or wherever, and in sort of looking through the medicine lens, and that can be helpful. But I just can't emphasize enough getting around other men where real challenge is happening because most guys have competition-based relationships. They're unconsciously competing with one another, right? Do I make as much money as you? Do I fuck as well as you? Is my dick as big as you? It's all very alpha. It's all very alpha conversation, very top level, surface level, like you said. And 
how can someone right now ever get that deep when they're not surrounding themselves with people that give them access to share in a more vulnerable stage? That's the problem. And this is the thing. Again, I spoke about this and we talk about a generational change. This happens at the top, you know, and if we're going through schools at young men, universities, workplaces, and we're told to, you know, we look at, you know, a girl, for example, or a young girl, if you're in school or if you're, you know, a man and a woman, and you think, oh, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Can't cry, I can't show emotion because that's like the girl's kind or the woman's role, you know. So what I can't do that, but that's kind of like. I feel like there's an onus on us as a society and us as men, kind of you and I in particular, because we're doing this sort of work in the community and in the front line, so to speak, to change and challenge those stereotypes so that people feel comfortable to have those conversations on a deeper level. Because I feel like even me, I've got friends in my life that are very surface level. Ah, fuck, let's go get fucking mad this weekend. Let's go to the top. And then there's people that will be like, man, I had a really, I'm having a bad day or I've had a, you know, back and forth with my girlfriend. It's not really going well. And we talk on a deeper level about what's annoying them or, you know, the things that you wouldn't normally share with my other group of friends because they're all about who's got the better, like you said, who's got the best paying job, what's going on this weekend, who you're hooking up with and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like it's kind of a mismatch most of the time. It's kind of all over the place. There's no real... I guess, center point that gives people that certainty and that honesty and that trust in one singular environment because there's so many different things happening every time of the day. It's very complex. It sounds easy and it sounds like, yeah, we're shooting the shit right now and I understand what you mean. It makes perfect sense. But like actually doing it, it's a tough thing. And for someone who's never been vulnerable before and never dealt with their pain on a deeper level, 
that shit's scary, man. Like that stuff, for the most part, like you've got to take that shit slow because it can take a real impact on your life, especially when you overshare and you feel like, fuck, I've just overshared here and I've become over vulnerable. I have a vulnerable hangover, so to speak. And I feel on the other side and I feel guilty or ashamed or even lower than when I did holding that pain in. So there's, it's a big problem and it's a problem that us as men have the responsibility to solve, to do the best work that we can do to make that difference. Yeah. But let me ask you then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, you go. And then I want to ask you something. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to comment on the vulnerability piece. You know, I think culturally, you know, we see that men are struggling, right? We see suicide rates, we see depression rates, we see dropping out of college. You know, I think two things. One, there really is a huge impact in the absence of fathers. You know, I think that a lot of men have grown up in environments where either their father wasn't around or their father was checked out. And having a male role model, having a father that's there and present and teaching and guiding is absolutely invaluable. So I'll just, I'll drop that there and maybe we'll come back to it. But secondly, this notion that vulnerability has become a cure-all statement towards men that I'm very cautious of. You know, I think that what women specifically are telling men is to be more vulnerable and what culture specifically is telling men is to be more vulnerable. But for a lot of guys, they don't know what that means, what that looks like, why it's relevant, you know, how it's going to support them. You know, like the ROI is very vague, right? It's like, well, what's the return on investment for me to be more vulnerable? 100%. Right? And they're just looking at numbers. Like it has to be a positive sum game. Like, why would I do this if it's not going to pay off? Yeah. And for me, I get that. You know, I think I advocated for vulnerability for a long time, but I've come to a place where I don't necessarily think it's about being more vulnerable, specifically in a cultural sense or even in a relational sense. I think it's about being two things. One, it is about being more raw and transparent with the men in your life that can challenge you, right? That can actually say, you've said that you want to drink less, but I've noticed that you've drank three times this week and you've got blitzed. What's going on? Tell me what's really going on. So in the, I run something called the Alliance. We've got like 500 men in there from around the world and there's men's groups and those guys, we have something called calling each other forward. And that's about calling a man, not out, right? Because calling somebody out is really about your ego as an individual, right? It's really like, oh, I called that person out. I showed them, I told them. Well, did they actually change after you called them out or did they just feel like shamed and shit on? Probably the latter. It's like they're validating their own manhood again, their masculinity, alpha male. Right. So calling out is about you. Calling forward is about them. So calling another man forward is about who have they said they want to be as a father, as a husband, as a boyfriend, as a friend, as a family member, as a son, et cetera, as a leader in business and calling them forward into that version that they have said that they want to be, holding them accountable to that. That's what's really valuable in masculine relationships, but that's risky, right? Because there's confrontation, because is vulnerable in the sense that you have to be courageous. You have to risk being honest. You have to risk being transparent and raw. So I think that there's that part. We can do a better job of calling one another forward and challenging one another. And then the second thing is that I think what a lot of men are craving, at least for myself, what I found I was really craving in my journey is what I call emotional sovereignty. So it's not about being vulnerable with everyone around me all the time and 
you know, just opening up and sharing my feelings. It is about having a certain kind of emotional sovereignty. So moving to a place where I can sit down with my buddies and I can say, hey, here's how I fucked up this week. This is what I want to celebrate myself for. And here's what I really need help with. Like, here's what I can't figure out on my own. What am I doing wrong? How am I showing up incorrectly? And to get feedback, to get resources from those men, but then ultimately to know that it is on me to take action and they can support me, right? They can give me really direct feedback. They can give me advice if I so ask for it. But at the end of the day, it is about me being able to navigate through my own emotional experience and to have a depth of ability to communicate that emotional experience, you know? And so in order to do that, we have to break what I call as the one rule of men. And the one rule of men is very pretty much identical to fight club, which is you don't talk about fight club. The one rule of men is you don't talk about what it's like to be a man who's struggling. You don't talk about what it's like to be a man who feels lost, who doesn't like his body, who doesn't feel like he's performing sexually, who doesn't feel connected in his relationship, who doesn't know if he you know, can commit to the woman that he's with or whatever it is. You just don't talk about that shit. So you have to be one, you have to be willing to break the one rule of men. Two, you have to be willing to get called forward by men in your life. So you have to be willing to let them contribute to you honestly and earnestly. So that means that you have to respect those men enough to actually hear what the fuck they're saying, because most men have exactly, men yeah. in their life that they just don't, they're like, oh, I love hanging out with them, but, but that's it. I wouldn't take their advice for anything, you know, like not with women, yeah, not they're with fine money. For a week, they're, they're fun for a weekend time and that's about it. Right. And so really leveling up the men that you surround yourself with, because for me, my life has been unbelievably elevated by surrounding myself with other men that I respect equally. And that level of respect is, you know, the term iron sharpens iron. That's all that it is, is that you respect another man enough that when he says, Hey, I think you're making a bad decision here. Like your ears perk up, you know, like you really tune in because you're like, Oh shit. Okay. I must be missing something because this is a solid human being. This guy I trust. And so those are some of the pieces. And then all of that is moving us towards emotional sovereignty. And what emotional sovereignty is for me is about having a sense, again, of sovereignty, of reliance over your own emotional state. So you understand what you're experiencing. You're not avoiding what you're feeling. You're able to communicate it, articulate it, and you're not beholden to it. Because what most men do is they have a charge of emotion and sometimes an intense charge of emotion like anger or sadness or grief or embarrassment. And we do two things with that. Maybe if it's even sexual arousal, right? We do two things. One, we say, I'm going to shut that down because I don't want to feel that way. So I don't want to feel that anxiety. I don't want to feel that sexual arousal right now. Maybe it's inappropriate. Or two, I have to do something with it. I have to do something with that anger. I have to do something with that sexual arousal. I have to do something with that grief. Like get rid of it kind of thing. And we miss out on how do I just be with what I'm experiencing? How do I just be with my internal state of anger? Right. This is what the Stoics were really talking about. A lot of the modern notions around Stoicism are obscure. A lot of people think like, oh, to be Stoic is to just ignore what you're feeling. No, it's about emotional mastery. It's about emotional sovereignty. It's about understanding, oh, I feel this way and I can still remain present connected, grounded, calm. I can still hear what the other person's saying and be with that anger, be with that sadness, be with that grief, and to be able to articulate it in a way that doesn't 
hijack the show, right? It's not like, oh, I feel angry and now I'm communicating from that anger, right? That's doing something from it. So anyway, that's maybe a bigger topic, but I just wanted to put that out there. I'm just sitting here just fully listening and processing what you're saying and it's really, really powerful stuff. I want to ask you one thing though. For the people and for the men in particular, you mentioned emotional sovereignty and you know having those men in your life where you can level up and you can have those hard-hitting conversations and be taken seriously and respected. What about all the men that are listening to this episode right now that don't have those relationships or they don't know where to start? Mm-hmm. to start navigating that emotional pain so that they can have those hard-hitting conversations safely, proactively, and honestly. Like, what are some real strategies right now that someone could do, men in particular, that could do to go from a place of being, I'm going to hold it all in, I'm suppressing, I don't want to talk about it, I don't know who to trust, I don't know where to go. What are some things we could tell them right now? Well, number one, I would say prioritize finding those men immediately, right? Prioritize finding those men immediately. And that's going to be uncomfortable. You're probably going to feel resistance around it. You're probably not going to want to do it, you know, but I would say prioritize finding them immediately. There are a ton of groups out there. You know, there's the Mankind Project. There's the group that I run called the Man Talks Alliance. There's something called the Samurai Brotherhood. There's the Uncivilized Nation. I mean, there are a ton of them. Each one of them has a a little bit of a different flavor. You know, everyone's doing a little bit different work. It's, It's variations on a theme, but prioritize that immediately. And secondly, I would say bring a different type of conversation to the men in your life. And what I mean by that is be willing to be transparent about something with the man in your life that you would normally hide from them. So bring one thing in, right? Like Carl Jung, famous, one of the most famous psychologists, you know, in the last hundred years, he said at one point that confession is the first step in the therapeutic process. And for some of us as men, the way for us to develop those inroads with other guys in our life is to confess some of the shit that we've been holding in, right? It's like, hey, I don't need you to do anything with this. I don't need any advice from you. I just need to tell you that- Just listen. Just be yeah, there. just be there. That like, I've been having an affair or I think I'm drinking too much or I felt pretty fucking miserable lately, you know, or I hate my job. I'm not trying to complain. I just need to like let you know that this is what I'm dealing with because I've been telling you that everything's fine. You know, I've been telling you that everything's okay and it's not, you know, it's actually not okay. And that can be a really huge shift within a dynamic with another man. And so I would just say, if you're going to have that conversation, one, get very clear on what you want to say, you know, what you want to reveal. And number two is be very clear with that man, what you want from him. Do you just want him to listen? Do you want his advice? Do you want his feedback? Do you want him to you know, tell you to give your head a shake? Like, What is it actually that you could use from that man? And tell him that directly. And the cool thing about having relationships with other men is that for the most part, if you tell them, this is what I need from you, and I'm going to tell you something, we're pretty good at just being like, cool, I got you. I can do that. You know, 
it's when we're vague. It's when we like, we're like, I've been having an affair. I've been cheating on my wife for like five years. And we just drop that off at a buddy's doorstep. And he's like, I don't know what to fuck to tell you. Man. Yeah. But if you have that real serious conversation, not so serious, but like you kind of set those expectations, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you put it out there. You set those expectations and reveal something that is, you know, that you know that that man can handle. But also I think sometimes it's in revealing who we are the truth and the depth of who we are as men with the men around us that we really discern who are the men that get to stay in our lives right mm, like 100% or my journey you know my friend circle has radically changed but the men that are in my life right now they are literally some of the best men that i have ever met and i trust them like i mean i just trust them with anything you know i would trust them with my finances i would trust them with you know, my family. And that is, I would trust them with my business. I would trust them with my health. I mean, they are just solid human beings that know me inside and out. I know them inside and out. And we are brothers in the sense that we're not brothers by blood, but we are brothers by bond because we've created that. And it's not just a word that we use. It's a relationship that we've built. And I think that that's something that a lot of men are deeply, deeply craving is to have that quality and that caliber of relationship. And so, you know, like in the Man Talks Alliance, we foster that, we encourage that. And those are the things I'd say. I'd say start there, you know? I love it, man. I truly love everything that you're saying. And what I love mostly about that is when you're actually challenging or, or you're starting to have those conversations or you challenged yourself to bring up that conversation or to share that one thing that you're scared or you've been worried to share because you've been suppressing it, with the one person in your life, you kind of, what I've always said is you're creating a leadership role in a way because you're coming out first and sharing something that maybe this friend has never thought of or sees you as this picturesque, perfect guy killing your life and job and you've just dropped a bomb on him and he's like, holy shit. But it gives him permission to then be like, okay, well, Connor shared that with me about how he's actually really doing. And I see that as like, admirable right i'd see that as admirable and i respect you even more and then it would allow me if i'm the one on the receiving end the listener to go all right well i actually really trust this guy now you'd probably be the first person i go and speak to about my own problems and that's what certainly happened with my life man i mean when i i've kind of been pretty open and vulnerable i'm always learning every single day i'll always be learning I feel like when I'm actively sharing and being open and honest, like I've had some of my closest friends in my life open up to me about challenges that I never thought existed until I was open. So you're kind of creating that safe space without actually thinking about creating the safe space, if that makes sense. It's super powerful, man. And I love that. What do you think about women though? Like, do you think women dig guys that are vulnerable? Do you think being a vulnerable man <laughs> is something positive? What do you want to tell all the, all the dudes out there? Uh, I mean, this is a mixed bag. Okay. So this is a mixed bag. Is it? Hit me in the heart, man. I've got a fiance, but hit all these dudes in the heart. Let's get it going. <laughs> I would really say women want men that are emotionally sovereign. So women want a man for the most part that can show up and say, this is what I've been feeling. This is what I've been going through. This is what I'm doing about it. These are the resources that I've been using to navigate through it. So in that way, that man is sovereign in his experience. He's not saying, I feel sad and I need you to, as my partner to do something about it, or I need you to solve my problem, or I need you to fix this for me. He's saying, I am resourced 
in my friendships and the men that I have in my life, and I'm able to navigate through this problem. But I also want you to know what's happening in my experience, what's going on in my experience. But I don't want to burden you with what I'm going through emotionally. I think the misconception that's happening in a lot of relationships today is that a lot of men are being told by women, I want you to be more vulnerable. And so a lot of men are starting to bring all of their problems to their partner and their woman becomes, I'm using a heterosexual dynamic, but their woman becomes their emotional processing center, their problem processing center. And so whenever a man has a problem or is feeling something that he doesn't want to feel, he starts to bring that to his marriage and that parentifies his woman. She starts to play the role of mommy, right? She starts to play the role of mom and parent him or caretake him or be his sister or something like that. And it can do a number of things to communication and attraction and a whole bunch of other things. And so a woman does want a man to be revealed, right? She wants to know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you going through? I want to know the depths of who you are. But the caveat is the asterisk in that is, I want to know that you've got you, right? I just want the men to hear that. I want to know that you've got you. So it's imperative that men find other men to support them. It doesn't mean that your girlfriend or your wife can't help you with some things or, you know, empathize with what you're feeling or any of those things. But it just means that if you're not resourced as a man in the rest of your life, you're going to try and be vulnerable with your partner. And you're going to start to bring them all of your emotions and all of your problems. And they're going to start to try and figure it out for you. And they're going to get in the weeds with you. And all of a sudden, they are either going to be your parent or your therapist. And that's going to be a problem. And so I think that's why a lot of men resist really being vulnerable in the relationship. But when they've started to have other men, like I can bring anything that I'm dealing with in my life to my wife, anything. But it's almost always because I've called up one of my buddies. I've called up one of the men in my group and I'll say, this is what I'm going through. This is what's happening at work. Or I had this happen with you know, my book deal, or this is going on with my mom or my dad. What are your thoughts? Like, how should I face this? Or, you know, I'm, I'm like really fucking angry about this. And I talk about it and then I bring it to my wife and I say, you know what, this is what happened. And this is what I'm doing about it. You know, this is how I feel about what happened with mom, with dad, with my work, with my book or whatever it is. And this is how I'm navigating it. And for my wife, there's like this beautiful space in that where she can say, amazing. I know what you're thinking. I know exactly how you feel. And I feel safe because you are tending to you. And so I stay in, you know, relationships are about two sovereign beings coming together. So it's nuanced. Yes, you should open up more. It can get blurred lines sometimes, right? It's very, very interesting. And I think it's a very important point to note on here. I mean, a lot of guys probably think that being vulnerable is kind of like weak. You know, that's what the general consensus is, you know? And it's kind of like, I don't want to be judged as weak or what are the girls going to think if I'm a little, like if I'm sharing how I feel, you know? And I think a lot of men have swung the pendulum in the other direction and they spew out everything in the relationship and they get super vulnerable very quick and they share things with women that they haven't shared with anybody else. And then that woman breaks up with them. You know, and then suddenly they don't have anybody to help them deal with what, you know, what they've unearthed, what they've unearthed, like the amount of men that I've seen that get into a relationship with a woman. And she's like, I want to feel you more. I want you to be more vulnerable. I want you to be more open. And so he starts sharing about his childhood and how he was bullied or how his, 
father abused him or you know how he feels at work and how he's miserable at work. And suddenly their conversations start to revolve around that man's problems, around his feelings, around his emotions, and nothing really gets resolved. And so I'm really trying to make the distinction that yes, share what you're feeling, share what you're thinking, share the problems that you're dealing with sometimes with your partner, but make sure that you have other resources in your life to help you navigate those things. Because if you don't, you're going to turn that partner into the sole person. So this is what a lot of men do. It's like, I'm going to keep everything in or I'm going to give everything to her, (laughs) you know? And it's like, no, yeah, it's like, bring it to the men in your life. Bring it to, you know, some of your friends have diversify diversify your portfolio spread it around man spread it around man yeah i get it i think it's a great point and it's very it's a very important point i mean you're right i think there is a happy medium there and to share and to know that you've got you i think is really important and to have that support system in your life from what i'm hearing you say it's really important to just have a support system in your life people in your life that you trust on a level where you can share about things that you don't want everyone to know and to spread that around to have that little core group of people in your life that You know, you could pick up the phone and tell them that you had a shit day or that you're struggling with something at work or you're not really happy anymore instead of just laying it all on one person. Yes. And I guess not to say that it's a burden and because I know that you mentioned that earlier. I know a lot of people that have struggling with mental health over the years and, you know, I've had my own struggles with mental health over the years and I still do to this day, you know, and it's something that I battle every day with my anxiety and stuff. But you know, I'd feel like from a burden point of view, I feel like a problem shared no matter what it is, is a problem half. It really is. So you're not really being a burden, but it's that perception of feeling like you're a burden. No, someone would rather help you than not help you. That's just the bottom line. The right people in your life will always help you. And if they don't, they're not the right people in your life. That's how I've always looked at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, there's nuances around what you can share, what you can't share and all that sort of stuff or what you should share and what you shouldn't share, I should say, not black and white. I still feel like, yeah, the burden, I don't think anyone's a burden sharing how they feel with anyone about your problems, issues, challenges, because I do feel like sharing how you really feel, is it does really help take that pressure off your shoulders. Mm-hmm. But there is a fine line because we've talked about being vulnerable for a while now, finding that safe space in other men that you could talk to, have those hard-hitting conversations with. But where it can get in trouble and where it can get you can get stuck, and I've seen men get stuck and I've seen friends get stuck, is when they've gone to, to share that part of their life that they've been so scared about sharing mm-hmm. and they haven't had the feedback or the response from the other person they shared with. They weren't expecting that response or they didn't get the response that they thought they would have received. And they've gone into this recluse mode and shut down now even more because they're more hurt and they're more worried because they got burnt kind of the first time. So like, how do I come back from the dead, so to speak? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To finish off the podcast, tell me what are some strategies around that? If you've shared before, you've had a friendship group or a partner or whatever it is, you've wanted to share the load, you've been burnt, you haven't got the expectation that you've wanted or you've built up in your head. How can we come back from the dead, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I just want to say two things just to make two quick distinctions. One, the aim is to make sure that your partner isn't your primary support system. You know, that's really what I'm saying is that for a lot of guys, they hear the modern sort of narrative that you need to be more vulnerable. And what they do is they turn their partner into their primary support system. And so they don't rely on other men. They don't have other people to go and talk to. And over time, 
that destroys a relationship that will eventually become a burden to the relationship because we as human beings aren't meant to be in relationship without community behind us right it's like you know the saying it takes a village to raise a kid well it takes a village to support a relationship and so if your relationship doesn't have a village behind it you're fucked it's plain and simple yeah, right sure. so yeah. how do we come back from that you know again one of the things that i think is very challenging for a lot of men is twofold. One, I think a lot of men don't know how to forgive. And two, I think a lot of men, I'm speaking for myself, struggle to grieve. So in grieving, what I mean by that is being able to feel the sadness of what it was like to feel betrayed by that person that we brought something to that was very big. So we have to risk, you know, we have to risk. And this is the beauty of you know, our masculine core wants to take risks. And so we have to take smart risk. We have to be able to say, I can risk it with this person. I can risk it with these people because I trust them, because I've built rapport with them, because I've built this type of relationship with them. And so then we have to enter into the space of, I'm going to take this risk. And again, you can tell that person, this is very challenging for me. Be transparent about what something is like for you. If something's hard and challenging for you, you know, say it. One of the most potent things that you can do as a man is labeling what is. So when I talk to my wife about things, first off, my wife's a marriage and family therapist, right? So <laughs> like being married to a therapist sometimes is very challenging because they just know, you know, they know how the human being works. But when I want to share something with my wife, I'll say, you know what? Telling you this feels hard for this reason, or sharing this with you feels confronting because of X. And I do the same thing with my buddies. You know, if I'm going to share with a guy that I got burned before by some guy who betrayed me, then I'll say that, you know what, this is really challenging for me to share with you because the last guy I had this conversation with, this is what he did. So contextualize, 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 right? Communicate it. Label, label, label. What is challenging for you? Again, it's easier for a man to say, fuck you, than it is to say I'm hurt. Usually it's easier for us to keep something in than to say what is actually hard about it. So do the hard thing, right? That's what builds resiliency. That's what builds confidence. That's what builds psychological and emotional strength. It is about doing the hard thing. And sometimes in order for us to do the hard thing, we have to say, I'm about to do a freaking really hard thing because of X, Y, and Z. And in doing that, you are embodying and role modeling that emotional sovereignty that I was talking about before. You are literally saying, I'm about to do something that's very hard for me. It feels vulnerable. It feels raw. It feels whatever because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to do it anyway. Can I trust you? And then the other person can say, I don't want to hear this, you know, or yeah, true. I can't receive that. Or I, you know I'm what? Ready or something. I'm not ready or I don't know what to do with it. Or they can say, absolutely. I got you. Like nothing you could say right now is going to phase me. Like tell me. And so that is what creates attachment. And that attachment is what forms the groundwork of our relationship, whether it's with another man, whether it's with our girlfriend or our wife or a parent or a colleague or whoever it is. So label the hard thing and then do it anyway. So long as the other person's, you know, has said like, yes, I can enter into that with you. <laughs> Mate, that's outstanding. Absolutely great advice, great feedback, amazing depth in terms of what you shared. Very grateful for your time. 
Connor. And I think this is a, it's been a really good hour spent with you, learning more about, you know, some very important topics in this day and age, and especially in celebration of Men's Mental Health Week, man. I'm very grateful that we've been able to get you onto the podcast. Before I get you to share some of your, where people can contact you and how they can follow you and get in touch, guys, just remember to subscribe to the podcast. Doing so will help us grow the podcast ranks. I'm sure you know that, Connor, when you're doing your spills on the podcast, brother. But it also helps us to get to more communities, hopefully making more change and impacting other people's lives all around the world. So get on board. This is a community-driven project. Now to Connor, to close us out in the podcast, brother, how can people follow you, find you, search you, and all that sort of great stuff? Yeah, well, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on the show and even diving into this topic. It's pretty important. The best way is just at Mantox on Instagram and mantox.com. Perfect. And I'll make sure to share all this stuff on the show notes team and yeah, follow Connor and the work that he does. It's incredible actually. And you put up some very powerful stuff across your Insta and your social medias, things that, you know, I often share or, you know, save in my bank there on Instagram and mate, it's great work what you're doing. Very proud of the work that you're doing for men all over the world, especially in your communities and your alliance. Thank you. So keep up the good work, man. We'll keep sharing the great stuff that you're doing and Yeah, until next time, brother, you take care and look after that cough of yours. Thank you. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you